part 28. Walking in the light, first John and the path to living deeply in Christ. This week, next week, we'll finish the book. And the title is, Keep Yourselves from Idols. Keep Yourselves from Idols. The text is 1 John 5, 20 and 21. 1 John 5, 20 and 21. And we know that the Son of God has come and has, this is what we're going to be spending most of our time on today, has given us understanding. What does that mean? So that we may know him, that's Jesus, who is true, and we are in him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. And then this is really the only instruction in the text. The last words from John, little children, he says that because he's well into his 90s, probably close to 100 years of age. He has little time left. Little children. Keep, this isn't something God's going to do. Keep yourselves from idols. Let's pray. What a delight we have to collect our bodies, but not just that, our minds, our hearts. Gather them all around your revealed word, your true word, your inspired word. Here in the Fellowship Hall, South Sanctuary, homes, and here in the sanctuary, come Holy Spirit into each place. We need our, our, our best thinking, our clearest minds, and our humblest hearts so that your word, like seed, will fall on good soil and bring 30, 60, and 100 fold in all of our hearts and lives. We love you, and we love your true word. If that's your prayer, stick the amen on the end of it. Amen. Greg is a Christian, and Mike isn't. We know Greg goes to be with Jesus when he dies, absent from the body, present with the Lord. We know Greg's body will be raised when Jesus comes again, and we know that Greg will enter into God's new creation to live in eternal, in eternal joy. Mike, on the other hand, is not a Christian. We know he will be raised to eternal damnation and wrath, at least, at least if Jesus was telling the truth. So far, so good. But what about right now? What about right now in this present world? Mike, the Christian. Greg, the non-Christian. Greg, the Christian. Mike, the non-Christian. Let's not mess up their eternal destinies. So far, so good. But the difference right now, they both have strong marriages. They love their wife, their wives. None of their kids have been in trouble with the law. They're doing well in school. Neither one would cheat at work. Neither one swears. 
Neither one has ever committed adultery. Neither one watches dirty movies on the internet. Both of them do a great deal to help the poor and the needy in their communities. Yet Greg is a Christian and Mike isn't. Here's the question. Right now, right now, in this world, how are they different? In his final words, in our text, John deals with two parts of life that are radically changed in this present world by conversion. That's what we're looking at. These two areas that John is going to close his letter with, they form the heart and soul of a walk with Christ. So when we talk about how a person is different after being saved, born again, regenerated, converted, whatever term you want to use, these are the kind of changes John is talking about. The kind of changes John insists on right now in this present world. There are a lot of changes that can be made with no reference to Jesus Christ or the Spirit of God. And a lot of them are very noticeable. But they have nothing to do with Christian conversion. There's all sorts of ways to self-improve in this world. For atheists and Christian alike. But these two things that John is going to talk about, they're especially important because they pinpoint the two most basic changes that only the Spirit of God brings about in a converted heart. He's going to mention two things. Let me just introduce them briefly. He's going to talk about a new understanding. That's in 520. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. The us, that's Christians. He's given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. We are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God. If you ever want to see people say that the Bible doesn't say Jesus was God, my goodness. He is the true God and eternal life. Notice in that 20th verse, three times, he uses that word true. And when, and when you read the verse carefully, you'll see John is narrowing down the path to the truth about God. We are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. So there's this understanding. It centers on this. We can only know the true God through Jesus Christ. You, 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 can't, you can't know the true God through any other religion, any other philosophy, any other experience, except through Jesus Christ. It's quite a, it's quite a statement. Our, our world would find that incredibly intolerant. That's the kind of statement you get persecuted for. We can only know the true God through Jesus Christ. And now you see why this phrase, he's given us understanding 
knowing the true God through Jesus Christ. You can see why now that would just lead John automatically to close this off saying, keep yourself from idols. There's a lot of them out there. But they aren't the true God. People bow their knees to all sorts of things. They worship, they pray. But any approach to God that excludes Jesus Christ in the flesh, dying on the cross, rising from the dead, whatever these people think they're reaching, it's not the true God. That's a really significant statement. Increasingly, professing Christians don't believe that as much. So, 20, we know that the Son of God has come and he's given us understanding. It's not IQ. It's not like Christians are just plain smarter than non-Christians. That's not what he's talking about. The, this understanding of, the, of knowing God. How does this work? How is it possible? That's the understanding. If you're a Christian at all, you must hold to that. It's not optional. It's not an elective. It's a compulsory. Conversion brings with it this understanding, this Christ-given understanding, dominated by revelation rather than just conjecture, absolute specific truth rather than surveys and popular opinion. Most importantly, Jesus changes the way one thinks about God, how one can know God, how one can find eternal life, what eternity will be like, who will be saved? Who will be lost? Before Jesus Christ entered our lives, we had our ideas. We had our theories about these matters. We, we assumed it was important to know. We guessed. We postulated. But we weren't sure. Jesus, says John, he has given us understanding. So th that means this understanding didn't arrive by debate and it isn't open to modification it's given he's given us this understanding it's a revelation it comes from god it comes from the outside it's not deduced and then john goes on to the second change that conversion always brings so this would be B. By the way, this is all just an introduction. Conversion manifests a new love for God that swallows up. I'm sorry, this one's so long. And overrides all the other impulses and priorities of self. Little children... Keep yourselves from idols. John's concern here, just so we're clear, he writes to Christians, a church like ours, okay? We're more modern, but it's a church just like this. John writes. His concern is not that we, right here in this room and watching, his concern is not that we would cease to love God. That's not it. His concern is not that we would cease to worship God. Good music, good words, eyes closed, hands raised, giving praise and glory to the Lord. John's concern is not that we'll stop doing that. That's not what he's worried about at all. 
His concern probes much deeper than that. His concern is that God must not become one of the things I treasure. He must be the only thing I treasure. That's what he's worried about. That, that I will worship God as per usual. I will go to church. I will carry my Bible. I will sing the songs. I will listen to the sermons. But there will be other things that claw at my heart that I find quite irresistible. That, that, that bring pretty well as much joy into my heart as does my walk with Jesus. That's his worry. It's, it's the exclusivity of my love for God. That's John's concern. It, it's the love that I have reserved for God alone. When God competes with any other affection, who wins? That's John's concern. And so John closes his letter with these two areas, the new understanding. The Holy Spirit reveals deeply in my heart through the word that the only way to know God is through Jesus Christ, the true God. There's all sorts of things you can worship, but the true God you can only find through Jesus Christ. That's understanding number one. Concern number two is exclusivity of that love for God. No idols. No competitors. Forget the chorus we sing. It, it, it's, um, it has that idea in it. But I can't think of the title of it. That, that there's no, no competition, no competitors, no rivals. That's it, rivals. You have no rival. And technically it's true. But experientially, in all of our hearts, he has millions of rivals. See, that's John's worry. And so he closes with these two things. They define the core of right now in this world, the difference between the Christian and the non-Christian. The mind, the affections, they steer everything about you. They drive your life. We're going to study the first one today, the new understanding, and we'll close with the second one next week. All right? Okay. This is point number one. Don't panic. We're halfway through. And there's only one thought that I want to deal with here. When Jesus comes, he gives us a new understanding. 1 John 5.20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true we are in him who is true, in his son Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. So the Bible teaches everywhere that sin not only affects people morally, in other words, making us guilty, but it affects the way we perceive truth. I'm not talking about intelligence, but I am talking about about outlook, a lens, a way of seeing, a worldview. Sin affects 
the worldview that people carry around. We need to remind ourselves the first thing sin produces isn't wickedness. That's the second thing sin produces. The first thing sin produces is blindness. That's the condition, by the way, we were all born into, every one of us. The blindness, the, the twisted thinking, that's what leads to outward acts of wickedness. Sin, um, like alcohol, it, it, impairs, it impairs perception, slows the ability to make good decisions. The person who is into alcohol, overly drunk, he's not, his IQ isn't diminished. But his perception, the way he uses it, is greatly diminished. It's affected by it. That's what sin does. It does that to all of us. It clouds the judgment. It generates false impressions. That's what sin does. To put it in the language of John, it distorts true understanding. You're not seeing it right. You're bright, but you're not seeing this right. Another part of the problem is the Bible says we're all born into this condition of sin. We were conceived, the Bible says, in iniquity. So, and, and here's what, here's the issue there. Because we were conceived in this condition, it's very easy to think of it as being normal. This is what makes it so hard for people to actually see their need of salvation. We're, we're scarcely aware of the damage sin does in our own hearts. When you're, when you're born into sin, it's like being born into oxygen. You don't think about it actually being there. You just breathe. Sin is primarily manifested... In, in this respect, here's what sin does to all of us until, until we get this new understanding through Christ, okay? Here's what sin does to all of us. It makes it hard for me to see what is good for me and what isn't good for me. It makes it hard for me to understand that. We treat friends like foes. We treat foes like friends. We treat things of little worth as being treasures. We treat things of great worth as having little value. Hence, John's second warning about idolatry. You're prone to worship the wrong things, to treasure the wrong things. Sin makes it hard for all of us to see what's really good for us. Do you ever have that? Maybe you have a, a, a young child, a teenager going in a certain direction and you sit and you say, but this, this isn't good for you. There's, there's nothing good going to come of this. And they look at you with a blank expression. Now, John says, that's your problem. That's my problem. That's what sin does. It makes it hard for us to see what's truly good for us. So, when John says that only Jesus, by his Spirit, brings true understanding, he means that sin distorts and destroys sound understanding. It blurs values. 
It puts everything just a little bit out of focus, leaving, leaving us like someone who's lost his glasses. You see little bits of fuzzy shapes, but not seeing things really the way they are, clearly, distinctly, with certainty. It's one of the key problems to living a holy life in a fallen world for all of us. This is very close to where we live. When people get caught up in any sinful action, they don't usually see it as sinful immediately. What's worse, they actually think they are perceiving things correctly, and that makes repentance hard. Recovery, correction, makes it more difficult. Receiving instruction, listening to God's word, because people who are blinded by sin, they treat the truth like an enemy. And here's, here's something else. That's why lives are almost never spiritually changed just by the imparting of information. The, the education process, for, for however precious it is in other areas, the education process doesn't, by itself, make people see things with understanding. That's because, as John says, the kind of truth people need to be spiritually transformed, it only comes through Christ, 520. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given there's a givenness, has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. So, so for truth to impart transformation and life, it must be embraced in Jesus Christ. You have to start with Christ. You can't fix things spiritually apart from Christ. You can't get there apart from Christ. And we know, 520, the Son of God has come. This is one of the things that marks Christians in this world right now. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. Don't focus on idols. We know him who is true. So for truth to impart transformation, it must be embraced in Jesus Christ. You, you, you can't... This understanding that Christ gives, you can't learn it the way you can learn the words to a song. It, it's not just a mental process. Jesus must be embraced. He must be treasured. And, and, and there's a huge problem right at this point. John has said the means of gaining true understanding of the heart of God the Father is to embrace Jesus Christ. Here's the issue. This whole world, the one you're living in right now, this whole world, its system, designs its appeal to keep our minds earthbound and diverted from Christ. Here's one of the most important verses you can learn in the whole New Testament. In their case, talking about unbelievers, 
the God of this world has, look at, blinded the minds of unbelievers. They don't see it that way. They think, they think you're the religious wingnut out there with your faith and your beliefs and you can't see God anywhere and look at the mess the world is in and you guys want to believe, well, fine. That's, if it helps you a little bit. Paul says, no, no, it's quite different. There are people who are blind to the truth, but it's unbelievers. And it's not an IQ problem. In this case, in their case, the God of this world, who's that? Satan, the devil. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Look at to, to keep them from seeing, that's important, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That's a great verse. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. It's the image of God. That's a really important text. And, and it says more than many think. Paul, in that verse, is reminding me, reminding all of us, that this world doesn't care a hoot whether or not you believe in God. Doesn't matter. But it works false values into a culture to keep people from seeing glory in Christ Jesus. That's it. That's it. You see the same problem described here. This is not an isolated theme, it's a major theme in the New Testament. Paul again, now this I say and testify in the Lord. That's his way of saying, I'm not kidding. This is true. That you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Look, in the futility of their minds. Do they have low IQs? Is that what he's talking about? No. They are darkened in their... Is this the same word John is using? It is, isn't it? Darkened in their understanding. John says, we know that he has come and given us understanding. Why do we need it? Well, because there's another power at work that darkens our understanding. It's understanding that we're talking about in both cases. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. That's a terrible position to be in. It almost seems beyond hope. Like, if that's all you knew, what are we, what are we doing with this? How, how do we escape? How do we get out? And it is hopeless apart from supernatural revelation, supernatural intervention from the outside. That's what the scriptures teach God has done. And we know that the Son of God has come, given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. There's a way out. We are in him who is true. We've been brought in, captured in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. So, so the one point 
to keep on the table this morning is the way John says this understanding, this deep, this deep, convincing taste of truth. It's specifically linked to the fact that the Son of God has come. First part of that verse. Something hopeful has happened for people like we. Something hopeful has happened. Something revolutionary has happened. The gospel is bigger than most people think. They just think, well, I had these bad things and God said, okay, you said you're sorry. We'll forget about it. That's not the gospel. The gospel is people who, who are walking around with darkened understanding, with no way out, no hope for a way out. God has come in Christ Jesus and brought us into truth, given us understanding that we could never have achieved of our own. We need to think about this because it's not the first time, and I know that it's pretty hard to go back and let's review the first 27 weeks of this study. It's not the first time that John has pinned hopes on transformation through Jesus Christ. Here's one that we've studied a long time ago. Look at this. See what kind of love the Father has. Notice the same word, given. It's a given. He has given us understanding. What kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children. John says we are in him. Here he says children of God, and so we are. Does this work for everybody automatically? No. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. We're talking about in this present world. What we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Our minds should be clicking here a bit. Look at, look at the first five words of this text. See what kind of love. See what kind of love. Now remember, remember 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, talking about unbelievers. Are you still with me? This, you got to get this. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, okay, to keep them from, what's the next word? Seeing. To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So what does the devil do? He comes and he keeps unbelievers from seeing. Look what John says in 1 John 3, 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. That's the transformation. There's a progression in these, these three verses of 1 John 3. This, this progression. When people see the incredible, beautiful, grace-filled coming and dying and rising of Jesus Christ. When they really see it, they see glory in it. Then they become children of God. And when that happens, they know it 
has happened and everyone else knows it's happened because they, they purify themselves as he is pure. This is a huge change and it isn't just on the outside. It reaches the outside, but it starts on the inside. In our text today, he's given us understanding. In this text, see what kind of love the Father has. When they see it, when they treasure it, when they see glory in it, the Holy Spirit works that miracle in the heart. Then they become, in the second verse of 1 John 3, 1 to 3, they become children of God. And when that happens, the third thing is they start to purify themselves as he is pure. This is a huge change. It isn't just on the outside. It reaches the outside, but it starts on the inside. He has given us understanding. It, this is what makes, this is really important. This is what makes conversion different from moral reformation. Atheists can practice moral reformation. They can quit smoking. They can quit drinking. They can stop lying. They can build a good marriage. But there's a difference between that and conversion. The motives behind the outward change couldn't be more different. The, the moralist, he may deeply desire improvements on many fronts of life, but, says John, when the Christian purifies himself, he isn't thinking about himself at all. He's gazing on Christ, specifically thinking about the day when he will see him as he is. John has already told us this concern. It isn't, it isn't to focus on the unsaved at all. In, in whatever the unsaved do, both bad things and good things, the outwardly wicked things and the outwardly good things, they have only one set of concerns. They, they love the world. They love themselves. They want to be the best they can be frequently. And so they clean themselves up. The unsaved are driven in good deeds and bad deeds by the love for self and the values of this world. And the Bible forbids them to love themselves and forbids them to love the values of this world. Look where I'm going here. That's why everything they do, not just the wicked things they do, the bad things they do and the excellent things they do are all sinful in God's eyes because they fall short of the glory of God. They're done for self. God looks at the motive behind the deed, both good deeds and bad deeds. So, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all with this motive, the glory of God. Everything you do, you do to the glory of God. 
The unbeliever does nothing to the glory of God. He does it for the benefit of self or family. And Paul says, no, that, that won't work. Everything you do has to be done, not primarily for self at all, but for God's glory. This is not an accidental lifestyle. This is, this is the conscious evaluation of the totality of my life's decisions and my life's ambitions. God's glory. God's glory is, it's the operating system of my entire life. Again, it's not accidental. It's not subconscious. It doesn't just happen. Well, I'm a Christian, so everything I do is automatically for God's glory. Everything's an act of worship. You've heard that. It's kind of true, but it's dangerous. Because Paul seems to be talking not just about the fact that my conversion is just this blanket I throw over my whole life where everything now is automatically for God's glory. And I don't think Paul means that. I think Paul's, Paul's talking about how I think about everything I do. That there's, it's not accidental. It's, it's, it's a plan in everything that I do to give God glory. So now comes the important question. How many things does the non-Christian do exclusively for God's glory? Answer is, of course, zero. That doesn't mean that everything they do is bad. It doesn't mean non-Christians don't do good deeds. Not at all. But it means something much deeper, much more profound. It means that even the good deeds of the unsaved are sinful in that they fall short of the glory of God. They're not done to the glory of God, not consciously. Notice, God doesn't measure righteousness and sinfulness just by the deed, but by the desire behind the deed, which is why, which is why you see outside of Christ, everyone's lost. The philanthropist is just as lost as the drug dealer. Seeing God's grace in Jesus, really seeing it. When I prayed, you can't get to God without Jesus. His holiness is a threat without Jesus. It's, it's, it's not just, okay, I get it. It's savoring that. It's, it's feeling preciousness in it. It makes the love of the material world look ridiculous. It makes everything look transitory. It changes the heart. Or in John's word, the Son of God has come and he has given us understanding. Oh, we get it. We get it. It's not just a religion. There's an understanding that is growing in my heart. Sadly, last thought. Sadly, it's possible to slog around to church and to still build the rest of your life on a lie. If John's words are true, if these are God's words to Cedarview Community Church, then there's no other true way 
to live life. Keep your soul anchored in this understanding. Son of God has come. First thing he does, he gives us this understanding. We know him who is true. And it exposes everything else that is trite, even if it's good. Everything else that is trite and temporary and fading. Keep your heart anchored there in what's true. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for this understanding that you've brought into our hearts. Let it not, let it not die on the vine just through years of walking with Jesus. There's, there's a true understanding of how anyone can know God and how easy it is for us just to take some of these truths for granted rather than tasting them. Remember, the enemy comes just to keep us from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ. It's not our doctrinal beliefs, but he would love to keep people sitting right here Keep us from seeing glory in what Jesus has done. Let it never be. Let it never be in any of our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray and I thank you. Amen.